Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us on the Weekly Standard is Chief Numbers Cruncher, Jay Koss, who's been all over both the delegates and the polling. And Jay, it's been a crazy weekend. We've got Michigan coming up. We just want to get kind of a, a temperature check from you. Where are we on the numbers? Right. That's a great question. It's, it's the question. Um, you know, look, uh, Donald Trump has a delegate lead right now. Uh, it is not an overwhelming delegate lead. Uh, he is, he's gotten about 40% of the total delegates that have been available. Um, but if you're looking ahead to sort of, well, okay, how does Trump get to a, de- a majority on the floor of the convention in Cleveland? Um, he would have to do about, you know, get give or take about 60 per win 60% of the remaining delegates. Um, so he's going to have to do. Uh, and and I want to stop right there because I think, I think that's a key. That's an easy to remember number. Trump's gotten right. around 40, 43% of the delegates thus far. He's gotten around 35, 37% of the popular vote or caucus vote or whatever you want to call it. But he needs to get up above 58% going forward. Right. Uh, Jay cost looking at the raw numbers. Is that possible? And is it likely? I would say it's unlikely. Uh, anything is possible in the cycle. I mean, after all, even a couple months ago, <laughs> who would have wagered we'd be having this conversation? Anything is possible. I would say that it's unlikely because, look, one of the reasons that Trump has the lead that he does, he has a lead of about a little less than 100 delegates over Cruz. Um, the, main, the main reason his lead is as big as it is is because of South Carolina. And South Carolina was granted a carve-out, so it basically became uh, a winner-take-all by state and by congressional district. Uh, so tr- Trump, even though he won 32.5% of the state's popular vote, was able to win 55, I think, 50-something, something like 50 delegates. And his delegate lead is less than 100 total. So what does this suggest? This suggests that, you know, if you win the winner-take-all states, you know, life is easy for you. The problem, though, is that there's only nine true winner-take-all states. Right. Um, so it, and so if you take South Carolina out of the picture and you look at the remaining states, what you see is, in fact, you know, in states that have anything other than winner-take-all, um, you know, Trump is doing not very well in terms of hitting his delegate thresholds. And my feeling is, is that as long as somebody remains in the race to contest him and, you know, that candidate continues to be able to raise money and make an argument and put fuel in the jet plane and fight Trump all the way through June, I think it would be very difficult for Donald Trump to get a clear majority of the delegates on the floor. And I think that's another point that because it's, it's confusing in the past, we've had more winner take all states. We've had more earlier winner take all states. And so. People forget, for example, in 2012, Ron Paul went all the way to the convention. It just didn't matter because he didn't have any way to stop Mitt Romney from getting to to the to the majority plus, you know, half plus one, 50 percent plus one. And in the past, the same thing. But this year, because the front runner has not been as and I'll use a technical political term here, Jay, front runnery as previous front runners when it comes to grabbing delegates and having the opportunity to shut the other opponents down with winner take all states. You're right. Fundamentally, there's no reason for anybody to get out of this race if they, like you said, if they can keep raising money because they can keep winning delegates in all but nine states. And then you have an unusual circumstance. And I want to ask you about this: the unique role that Ohio and Florida are playing as two of those winner-take-all states. 
Right. Well, so that's a very good question. And just as context for the listeners, um, Ohio and Florida are both winner-take-all by state, and their vote is March 15th. So um, now what's interesting about that is that, you know, you asked me earlier, is it, is it possible for Trump to get to 1237 delegates? If Trump loses both states, I would say it is virtually impossible. Um, if he loses one of those states, and if he loses one, it will be Ohio. I say it's very unlikely. Um, it's it's really hard to draw a path to 1237 for anybody at this point. The easiest path is for Trump, but frankly, you know, he's got because on top of that, Michael, right? It's not just you know we have um, you know Florida and Ohio voting, but we also have huge delegate halls coming in North Carolina. In Missouri and Illinois, and these are not those states are not slam dunk states for Trump, and those states all have some version of proportionality. So even even if he wins both states, he still might walk out of March 15th having won less than half the delegates on that day. And remember, he's got to get he's got to average every week. He's got to average about 60 percent of the delegates. Which is why um, this past weekend, which is why this past weekend was a setback, and it wasn't a huge setback in numbers, but it was a huge setback for the trend. Here he comes out of a weekend where he was supposed to sweep four states and pick up, you know, most of the delegates. And instead, he tied with uh, Ted Cruz on the uh, uh, popular vote. And I think he ended up with fewer delegates for the weekend than Cruz, if I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah, he absolutely did. It was actually, it was a bad weekend for him, not just in terms of the trend, but in terms of the delegates that he did as badly um, as he did. Um, especially in Louisiana, which should have been an easy win for him. And in fact, you know, if you were watching the returns come in on Saturday night from Louisiana, this was what was so telling, or hopefully telling, um, that he took, he jumped out to an enormous lead because the first thing that they did was report all of the early votes. So the early voters broke overwhelmingly toward Donald Trump. But election day voters in Louisiana basically split their ballot between Trump and Cruz. And based upon what was in effect a massive Cruz surge on election day, um, Trump only walked out of the state. I believe he only got one more delegate than Cruz did. Uh, and something similar happened in Kentucky, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Trump did very well in eastern Kentucky, which is very poor, uh, hard scrabble. This is coal country. Uh, this is where, you know, the United Mine Workers had all their famous, you know, battles with the, with the coal companies, you know, 80, 90 years ago. Trump did very well there. Uh, but the rest of the state, he did not do that well in. And, and another sort of interesting portent from Kentucky was that along the Ohio River, uh, in areas that are in the Cincinnati media market, John Kasich did very well. He polled in the 20s, oftentimes the mid-20s. Uh, which is an impressive number considering he may put absolutely no effort or anything into uh, Kentucky and Kentucky was a closed caucus. So that's sort of a, you know, potentially a leading indicator uh, for Ohio. And it's why I think, and and I thought this for a while to, to varying degrees, but I think people are underestimating John Kasich as we move forward. Uh, but, you know, that's one of the uh, arguments you get from people who are who are uh, supporting Mr. Trump is, look, you know, you say Trump doesn't have 65 percent of the vote. and You're right. But Cruz doesn't have 70 percent of the vote. And, you know, Kasich doesn't have 80, 90 percent of the vote. He's you know, you can right. keep making this math all you want, but it's worse for them. Why? Why should any of the other candidates, with the possible exception of Cruz, feel hopeful at this point? 
Um, well, look, I think that, you know, if I'm John Kasich, this is my strategy at, at the convention. Um, first of all, Ohio is the site of the convention, so I have a home field advantage. Second of all, if, I, if I'm John Kasich and I win Ohio, Ohio ha has a – the way the delegates are actually – you know, we, we're talking about all these delegates, you know, but we're talking about the binding of delegates. And only a handful of states are delegates actually handpicked by the candidates. And Ohio happens to be one of them. So I'm walking into the Ohio – I'm walking into the Cleveland Convention on my home turf with 66 delegates who are in my pocket. And then on top of that, you're looking forward through the rest of the cycle, and you think, okay, well, Wisconsin's coming up. Uh, that's winner take all. Why can't, why can't John Kasich win Wisconsin? Sure. I mean, if he, if he finishes a strong second tomorrow against Trump and he wins Ohio, um, why can't John Kasich win Wisconsin? Why can't John Kasich win Indiana? Why can't John Kasich finish strong second, maybe even first, who knows at this point, right. in Illinois, which is on March 15th? And then you go to Pennsylvania. You know, John Kasich is from the same hometown where my grandma was born, and boy, does he sound like it, you know? <laughs> um, why, why, can't, why can't John Kasich win Pennsylvania? Uh, you know, is, is Cruz a natural fit for Pennsylvania, or how about Wisconsin? I would say not, not as good a fit as John Kasich is. And if the Midwest wants to hang as a block at the convention, you know, um, look, this, there's a reason why back in the olden days when we used to have, we call it a broker convention. A hundred years ago, they just called it a convention. Exactly. Right. A hundred years ago, there's a reason why Republicans always seem to nominate people from Ohio. Right? It's because the Midwest hung together at these conventions and they voted in a block and they voted as a group. Uh, you know, and they just waited everybody else out. And, and so if, if I'm, if I'm Kasich, that's what I'm thinking. If I'm Cruz, what I'm thinking is, boy, if I can get a head to head against Donald Trump at some point, I'm going to, I'm going to get more delegates than him. That would be the argument for Cruz. Uh, if I'm Rubio, I'm thinking, look, if I, if I win Florida, uh, you know, I've been struggling with momentum and I've been struggling in the delegate count. But boy, 99 delegates out of Florida, that's sure going to cover up a lot of, you know, a lot yeah. of scars. Um, so, yeah, look, and, and look, beyond this, you know, there's this sort of thinking that there's this thought process around that everything's going to come down to March 15th. That's not true. This battle is going to go on and it's going to go on and it's going to go on. Historically speaking, the reason we don't get contested conventions is because somebody runs out to such a huge lead and is broadly acceptable to the party, and opposition collapses. There is no chance that that's going to happen with Donald Trump. Donald Trump is the first frontrunner in major party history, certainly in the open era, where he jumps out to a huge lead, and the next thing you know, you know, people are spending tens of millions of dollars to try and stop him. Well, not only that, though, but not only that, though, we've never had a frontrunner who was unacceptable to a solid third of the party's voters and who, according to some numbers I saw from Nate Silver, 49% of Republicans say they would accept him as the nominee, just 49%. Right. You know, and uh, everyone else is, is above 50%. And traditionally, I mean, even like Rick Santorum, when he was losing, while he was losing, the question was asked, you know, if he happened to be the nominee, would you be okay with that? And even someone who ran very strongly on social issues 
55% of the party said they'd be right. okay with Rick Santorum. Exactly. So Trump is down right. in acceptability at the lowest number ever. I mean, there's just yes. nobody else in Donald this Trump, arena. By any measure, I think if we put aside uh, the surprise that we all felt, you know, a month ago, where we were like, oh my Lord, Donald Trump's a front runner. Right. How did this happen? How did this calamity befall us? Uh, you know, let's price that in. Okay, he's the front runner. There has never been a front runner as weak as he is. In terms of how, not only in terms of how much delegates that he has, mm-hmm. but in terms of who, who is lined up with him versus in, within the party, who's lined up with him. You know, usually you get to this point and you start consolidating. If anything, everybody's just hunkered down. And this is sort of, you know, this is like the Republican Party's version of the 30 years war here, you know. Which brings us to the last, gonna, which brings to the last yeah. question based on polling and attitudes. You've talked a lot about the Republican brand in the past when we've done podcasts together. You have a great book, A Republic No More, about the effect of crony you know, behavior by leaders of both parties, but obviously that includes Republicans, has hurt the brand. Is this race already over in the sense that have the Democrats already won? Because no matter what happens now, the Republican Party is so fractured, there's so much distrust, and Donald Trump has done so much damage to the brand with independent, non-aligned, and you know, conservative slash moderate Democrats that they're just gone now. Is this race? Over? No, I would I would caution. I, I would be cautious on on a point like that. I mean, because look, the, the Democratic Party split almost in half in 1968, and boy, was that election close. Um, you know, and 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 the split was you know basically Trump is running a version, frankly, of you know, 21st century version of the George Wallace campaign. Mm -hmm. Um, And he took that into the general election. Um, So I I would be cautious about projecting from here. And I I would add as well, you know, look, the Republican Party split in 1980. You know, John Anderson um, was, you know, uh, ran as a third party candidate and won a lot of votes that were historically Republican votes because Reagan was too conservative. And I would also point out, you know, that the Democrats are, they're no great shakes right now either. You know, um, we're not paying attention to it because our party is coming apart at the scenes, whereas there is just, just kind of, you know, um, you know, sort of splintering just a little bit. Nah, yeah, but, but I'm sorry, I can't compare the two. You know, they're front runners. No, 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 I'm, I'm, well, I'm not comparing the two. No, but I'm I just want to, I just want to get a, st- a, a statistic out that no, I find very I'm, helpful. All I'm saying, all I'm saying is that Hillary Clinton is, you know, there are fissures within the in, within the Democratic Party as well. One of the differences with our party is that our fissures are, you know, are are like it's a, like a four way, whereas theirs is just a two way at least at the moment. My point is not to compare the two directly, but just to say that look, you know, both parties have problems right now. Both parties have sort of, if you look underneath the hood, both of them have problems, and and I'm not I'm not prepared to project, you know, what happens next because. I think both parties are really, um, really, truly in, in uncharted territory here in a lot of respects. Well, um, here's so one I fact I would add, which is that the, the sure. Democrats front runner is regularly getting 60 percent of the vote. The Republicans front runner is regularly getting 30 percent of the vote. And that's a that's a big, big difference. But we got to wrap it up there, difference. Jay Cost. I promise there'll be more to talk about as these uh, numbers roll yeah. in. And we will plan on talking after March 15th to see where we are, what happened that day. Jay Cost, number cruncher extraordinaire, The Weekly Standard. Thanks so much for your time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to The Weekly Standard. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.